getting unstuck the roundabout path to forward progress every limit is a beginning as well as an ending in 17th grade people started calling him a phenomenon by his sophomore year of high school professional scouts were coming to his baseball games as a college student he won as an olympic bronze medal as a starting pitcher for team usa that same year the texas rangers drafted him in the fr- in the first round and offered him a signing bonus over dollar 8 lakh he started he would start at the top of their minor league system and make the big leagues in a year or two are dicky was going somewhere then all of a sudden he wasn't when are showed up to sign his contract in 1996 a team trainer noticed <coughs> his arm hanging at an unusual angle and suggested an accident unbeknownst to him are was missing a ligament In his right elbow it was a critical piece of tissue for a throwing arm and it put a clear ceiling on his potential his first might his first his fast ball might never get fast enough the rangers slashed him slashed his signing bonus to under dollar 80000 and sent him to the lowest tier of their minor league system strike one this wasn't supposed to happen baseball was our escape from a big life he grew up in he grew up poor in nashville nashville and by the time he was 5 his mother was dragging him along to a local bars and drinking until they closed his parents divorced a few years later and his father was largely absent feeling abandoned left him with something to prove for for 7 years are toiled away in minor league baseball it left as if he was wasting that prime of his career since he couldn't throw a blazing fastball he honed his ability to fool batters by varying speed and spin finally in his late 20s he got his big break the rangers brought him up to the majors full time it didn't take long for ari to realize he was out of the out of his league scouts and journalists gave brutal assessments of his performance and potential journeyman marginal mediocre He gave up too many runs and lost more games than he won. He knew the he knew what that meant. Has been never boss. Partway through his third major league season with the Rangers, his managers brought him in for a tough conversation. They told him he was going nowhere. He reflects an assessment that I could hardly argue with. I would been going somewhere for a long time. They demoted him back down to the minors. Strike two. Ari was determined. to return to the majors even the off season he threw countless pitches against cinder blocks and kept a baseball in his car to refine his grip while driving he pushed himself harder than ever the following season the rangers gave him another chance in his first game back he tied a major league record but not the good kind of record are gave up six home runs in just three innings no pitcher had ever done worse as the crowd booed the rangers yanked him out of the games and sent him down the minors again strike 3 you are out pitchers usually peak in their mid to late 20s and retire by their early 30s at 31 it was clearly too late for ari to make a comeback the writing was on the wall he kept hitting his baseball career was over one of the most frustrating parts of honing a skill is getting stuck instead of continuing to improve <coughs> you start to stagnate It feels as if you have reached the upper bound of your mental or physical capacities. Since stagnation marks the end of growth, it seems to spell the beginning of decline. 
my best days are behind me it's all downhill from here surgeons expect to stagnate and decline as their eyesight and reflexes deteriorate scientists prepare to stagnate and decline as their neurons die athletes inevitably stagnate and decline as their strength and speed wane or at least that's what we assume but the reality is less linear and more uplifting at age 35 aridiki broke his broke through his wall once once for and for all after spending the bulk of 14 years in the minor league he made it back to the majors that year his earned run average made him one of the 10 best pitchers in all of baseball and he signed a multi year multi million dollar contract with the new york mets of the nine pitchers who had outranked him in his draft class eight had already retired and the ninth would never make it back to the majors yet are was just beginning to realize his hidden potential the key to his eventual triumph was the scaffolding others helped him build it came from many different sources and it look and it took are a while to put the pieces together but he never would have gotten unstuck if his coaches hadn't started by sending him back to the drawing board a rut is not a sign that you have turned a plateau is not a cue that you have peaked they are signals that it may be time to turn around and find a new route when you are stuck it's usually because you are heading in the wrong direction you are taking the wrong path or you are running out of the fuel gaining momentum often involves backing up and navigating your way down a different road even if it's not the one you initially intended to travel it might be unfamiliar winding and bumpy progress rarely happens in a straight line it typically unfolds in loops backing up to move forward skills don't grow at a steady pace improving them is like driving up a mountain as we climb higher and higher the road gets steeper and steeper and our gains get smaller and smaller when we run out of the momentum we start to stall it's not enough to step on the gas our wheels are spinning but we have stopped moving after poring over more than a century of evidence on progress cognitive scientist wayne gray and john lenstedt observed a fascinating arc when our performance stagnates before it improves again it declines when people's skills stalled in tasks ranging from tetris to golf to mem to memorizing facts they didn't usually ascend again until after they had deteriorated when we reach a dead end to move forward we may have to head back down the mountain once we have retreated far enough we can find another way a path that will allow us to build the momentum needed to reach the peak It's often difficult to accept that we need to retreat. Backing up means scrapping our current plan and starting over. That's what causes a temporary decline in performance. We have chosen to give up and gains we have made. We are regressing in order to progress. Performance suffers as new methods are being invested, tested, rejected or accepted. Gray and Lindstedt explain. We ascend after the implementation of a successful new method to surpass prior levels of achievement. Finding the right method involves trial and error. Some trials will just be plain errors. We spin our wheels on bad strategies, but even if we discover a better method, our inexperience with it will usually make us worse at first. Those back steps aren't only normal. In many situations they are necessary. In typing, if you hunt and peck, you will probably level off around 30 to 40 words per minute. No matter how hard you practice, you will hit that wall. If you want to double your pace to 60 to 70 words a minute 
you have to try a new method tapping by touch instead of sight but before you can speed up you have to slow down it takes time to learn the keys by heart more advanced skills come with steeper learning curves if you are solving a rubik's cube the easiest method is layer by layer you make a blue cross on one side then rotate it to fill in the corners and then start working on the next side after 130 movements later you are done if you want to do it faster you will need to memorize a list of algorithms it will take you longer at first but eventually you will only need 60 moves in the process you will also need to rebuild your muscle memory shedding old habits in favor of new ones one of the surprising things about backing up is that it can set the stage for improvement even when you don't do it intentionally in a study of over 28000 nba basketball games researchers investigated what happened to teams after their star players got injured as expected teams got worse but once the star returned they won even more games than they had before he was hurt why did losing their best player ultimately help them get better without their stars teams had to go back to square one and search for new paths paths to success they rearranged their roles to enable peripheral players to step up and drew up fresh plays to leverage their strengths when the star came back their shot balance improved they were less dependent on one hero to carry the entire team you can see similar pattern in nhl hockey teams after a player got injured the more teams experimented with their lineups to bring different players together on the ice the better they performed it shouldn't take an extreme event like an injury to push us to stop reverse and switch routes but the truth is we are often afraid to go backward we say slowing down as losing ground backing up as giving up and rerouting as veering of course we worry that when we step back we will lose our footing altogether this means we stay exactly where we are steady but stuck we need to embrace the discomfort of getting lost a swing and a miss backing up puts us on the new terrain we are in uncharted territory we are taking an unfamiliar path to a destination we have never visited and the summit might not even be visible at the start to find our way we need scaffolding in the form of some basic navigational tools the bad news is that a perfect map won't exist the exact route hasn't been plotted for us there may be not even be a road we might have to pave our own way figuring out the route as we go one turn at a time the good news is that the good news is that to start moving we don't actually need a map all we need is a compass to gauge whether we are heading in the right direction depending on the skill you are trying to learn you might discover a compass in the book or on the web or in the conversation a good compass signals when you are going off course and orients you to get better direction if you begin to stall as you learn to code in c++ you can find a compass in a quick online search that points you towards python it's easier to learn as just as well as suited to accomplish a wide variety of projects if your oil paintings keep coming out lumpy you might pick up a compass in a chat with a seasoned artist who suggests a solvent to thin your paints and if you are a baseball pitcher trying to climb out of what feels like a permanent slump your compass might come from a coach who tells you your first fastball is too slow and points you towards a new pitch that was the beginning of our adiki transformations i sought him 
out because I would never seen someone make such a dramatic improvement after being stalled for so long and taking so many steps backward. If anyone knew how to get unstuck, it was the guy who transitioned from one of the worst in his field to one of the best. After nearly a decade as a minor league pitcher, Ari was struggling to build a career and support his family. To pay the bills during uh, the off-season, one spring, he sold golf balls and that he fished out of alligator-infested lagoons. In the span of a decade, he moved more than 30 times than only to find himself in the exact same place. It was as if he was stuck in quicksand. The harder he tried to pull himself out, the harder it became to escape. When Are made him his final trip down to the minors at age 31, his pitching coaches handed him a compass. They told him he was heading in the wrong direction. He was never going to make it big to the majors on his current course. In an attempt to salvage his career, they pointed him toward a murky, mysterious path that few had navigated. For four years, for years as the part of his uh, repertoire, Ari had occasionally heard a strange pitch. He named it the thing. His coaches recognized the way he was holding the ball. It was similar to the grip for a rare pitch called the knuckleball. They encouraged Ari to develop it and make it a counterpiece, centerpiece of his game. Instead of flying with vicious speed and deadly spin, a knuckleball sails slower and as flat as possible. Rather than wrapping your fingers around the ball, you dig the nails of your index and finger and middle finger into it. Those two knuckles stick up in the air, giving the pitch its signature name. That unusual grip takes the rotation of the ball, allowing it to zigzag erratically in the air and befuddle batters. The knuckleball is so unpredictable that catchers wear oversized mitts to snag it. Since it doesn't require great strength or cause unusual strain, it can add your add years of longevity to a pitcher's arm. But as difficult as it as it is to hit and catch, the knuckleball is even tougher to pitch, and as Ari would find out, even tougher than that to master. There was no obvious way for Ari to develop his skills. His pitching coach's heart never worked with a knuckleballer before. They couldn't give him a map because they didn't have one. There weren't any knuckleball textbooks or tutorials. All they could offer was a compass, pointing him in the general direction of throwing a pitch that doesn't spin. Everything about the knuckleball felt backward for Ari. To keep the ball from spinning, as he released it, he was, he was supposed to keep his wrist as stiff as possible. But from the time he was a kid, he had been taught to rotate his wrist rapidly as he let the ball fly. First balls have backspin. Curve balls have top spin, sinkers have side spin. I had to unlearn all of that. Ari told me and relearn my mechanic mechanics. It took major deconstruction to be able to reconstruct. I had to tear it down to ground zero to rebuild. There was no guarantee that his effort would succeed. Seeking discomfort was a character skill he fully embraced, but Ari's early outings with knuckleballs did not go smoothly smoothly. In his first minor league game throwing the pitch, he gave up 12 runs in 6 innings. After the, de after the debacle of debuting his knuckleball in the majors, the game where he tied uh, the all-time worst record for homers given up, the Rangers let him go from their organizations altogether. Still, he thought his 
knuckleball had the potential to go somewhere good he just didn't know how to get there the drawback of a compass is that it only gives you direction not directions it can help you back away from the wrong path and point you toward a better one but to navigate that path effectively you need a guide start loads of things you didn't expect and then finish what those who can do can't teach what those who can do can't teach we are unsure of the path to a goal we often seek directions from an expert guide it's a familiar mantra if you want to be great learn from the best take a master class in cooking from top chef sign your kids up for a tennis lesson with a pro convince the biggest star in your field to be your mentor and learn how to follow in their footsteps what could be better than taking your first physics class with einstein quite a bit it turns out in a clever study economist wanted to find out whether students really learn more from experts they collected the data on every freshman to northwestern university from 2001 to 2008 they investigated whether freshmen did better in their second course in a subject if their introductory class was taught by more qualified instructors you might assume that students would be better off learning the basics from an expert a tenure track or tenured professor than a non-expert a lecturer with less specialized knowledge but the data showed the opposite students who took their initial classes with an expert ended up with poorer grades in the next class the pattern was robust across fields students learned less from the introductory classes taught by the experts in every subject it held across years with over 15000 students and in courses with tougher as well as easier grading and the experts were especially bad at teaching students who were less academically prepared it turns out that if you are taking a new road the best experts are often the worst guides there are at least two reasons why experts struggle to give good directions to beginners one is the distance they have traveled they have come too far to remember what it's like being in your shoes it's called the curse of knowledge the more you know the harder it is for you to fathom what it's like not to know like to not know as cognitive scientist sian belok summarizes it as you get better and better at what you do your ability to communicate your understanding or to help others learn that skill often gets worse and worse that was einstein's curse in the classroom he knew to know he knew too much and students knew too little he had so many ideas swirling in his head that he had a hard time keeping his lectures organized let alone explaining it to a beginner how gravity bends light when he made this teaching debut in a thermodynamics course despite being a rising star in physics his lackluster teaching attracted only 3 students his material was often over their heads and after he failed to draw a larger group of the following semester einstein cancelled the class several years down the road he was nearly denied another faculty position because the university president was underwhelmed by his teaching skills it's often said that those who can't do teach it would be more accurate to say that those who can do can't teach the basics a great deal of expert knowledge is tactic it's implicit not explicit the further you progress toward mastery the less conscious awareness you often have of the fundamentals experiments show that skilled golfers and wine efenkuwa kiodas f Efic- 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 Efic-
have a hard time describing their putting and tasting techniques even asking them to explain their approaches is enough to interfere with their performance so they often say stay on the autopilot when i first saw an elite driver do four and a half somersaults i asked how he managed to spin so fast his answer just go up in a ball experts often have an intuitive understanding of a route but they struggle to articulate all the steps to take their brain dump is partially filled with garbage instead of helping you find your way directions from expert guides can leave you stuck even worse they can leave you feeling like your own limitations and preventing you from progressing i started college torn between majoring in psychology and physics my two favorite subjects in high school i was thrilled to get into a class with an eminent astrophysicist astrophysics professor one day he proclaimed that the universe was everything and presented evidence that he was expanding that it was expanding but couldn't explain what it was expanding into i went from feeling fascinated to frustrated and confident to incompetent Although he was a passionate and caring he had learned too much and been a no voice too long ago to relate to my ignorance and never took another physics course even if your chosen expert can walk you through their route when you ask for directions on yours you will run into a second challenge you don't share the same strengths and weaknesses their hills and valleys are in the same as yours you might be heading for the same destination but you are starting far from their position this makes your path as unfamiliar to them as theirs is to you of course you will get more personalized advice from a guide who knows you well but as tempting as it is to turn to a trusted mentor for sage advice no individual will have all the direct all the right directions you can see this in a study of lawyers navigating to path to partner guidance from a single single mentor didn't make a difference in promotions there were other upsides lawyers who had a supportive mentor were more satisfied and committed than their peers who lacked one but when it came to getting promoted to partner what mattered was being guided by multiple mentors different mentors were able to share different tidbits on how to advance it didn't take a village though all it took was to do two or three mentors to help lawyers make the climb to partner rather than seeing their career stall just as it's just as it's unwise to seek rudimentary just as it's unwise to seek rudimentary instruction from the most eminent expert system it's a mistake to rely on a single guide no one else knows your exact journey but if you collect directions from multiple guides they can sometimes combine to reveal routes you didn't see the more uncertain the path and the higher the peak the greater the range of the guides you will need the challenge is to piece the various steps together into the route that works for you writing your own guidebook learning from multiple guides is an iterative interactive process it's not as simple as going to people and asking can i pick your brain also the image of picking a brain is gross the information isn't just getting there it's just sitting there waiting to be extracted we don't live in the matrix guides can't simply upload their insights for us to download the point of engaging guides isn't to blindly follow their leads it's the it's to chart possible paths to explore together to do that you have to make their implicit knowledge explicit being a sponge starts with seeking their advice but instead of asking to pick their brain you ask them to retrace their route the goal is to get your guides to drop pins the key landmarks and turning points from their climbs 
to jog their memories of paths long forgotten you might inquire about the crossroads they faced those could be skills they sought out advice they took or ignored or changes they made it can also help to tell them about the roads you have taken so far as they learn about your prior paths and current location they may begin to notice some news for progress that they didn't think to point out originally the pins you gather won't form an accurate map some won't apply to you or pen might lead you across a stream and your bicycle makes for a terrible boat some may no longer apply at all they will take you to a road that that's closed you may end up doing plenty of loops before you find the right path and your guides are likely to be unaware of bridges that have only recently been built when i asked our ediki how he found his way one of the first things he mentioned was the number of guides he had to enlist he didn't have a single ongoing mentor when ari started his journey in 2005 tim wakefield was the only active knuckle beller in the majors few others had even tried it there were only about a dozen retired players who had wielded the pitch successfully there wasn't one expert who could unlock all the mysteries of the knuckle ball or one coach who could give him all the directions he had to become a sponge in finding credible sources filtering out the tips that weren't relevant to him and adapting his approach accordingly after many months of struggling solo ari took the initiative to seek out some guides since it was long and winding road he needed a range of perspectives he started reaching out to the handful of people alive who had become knuckleball wizards his hope was to collect some of their pins they didn't have a full set of ready made solutions they surveyed ideas for ari to test in 2008 before a game against tim wakefield's teams ari convinced him to offer some guidance that's how lonely the knuckleball road is a player will hand his trade secrets and an to an opponent just to keep the pitch alive after watching him throw and asking questions ari came away with a new path to try he should make sure his arm went down the center of his body as he released the ball the following year he made a pilgrimage to see hall of fame of phil necro the greatest knuckleballer ever necro noticed that he wasn't pushing his hips forward as he tried as he threw tried to threw thre- while he gave which gave him another road to test out and ari made multiple trips to see another retired knuckleballer charlie hugh who taught him to adjust his grip and streamline his wind up to keep the ball from spinning ari learned to picture himself standing in a doorway and executing the entire throw without letting his body touch the door frame it restricted his arm to the point that he felt like a tyrannosaurus rex it but it became a pivotal turn ari also had to learn which pins to ignore his pitching coach kept telling him to throw the ball slower in the 60 miles per hour zone wakefield and hook had favored but after experimenting with the different speeds are found that his best knuckle balls often zipped at 80 miles per hour sometimes we need to discover things no guide can provide and ride our own directions through trial and error are discovered that he needed to learn a new skill the art of a manicure to throw a good knuckle ball his fingernails had to be long enough to get to attraction but short enough not to break he became a one man nail salon after 3 years of loops are was no longer stuck he was on the path forward thanks to a guidebook he had written himself even so that path was not an easy one his guides had warned him that the emotional journey might be as bumpy 
as the physical one since the knuckle ball didn't fly like a bullet it was impossible to aim all he could do was to let it go like a butterfly he would have to embrace imperfection his imp- his performance would be as erratic as the flight path of the pitch itself without taking to people without talking to people who walked a mile in my shoes i would not have been able to trust that there was a turning point in the future i told me hope is incredible fuel i had people to help me sustain that hope he estimates that he threw over 30000 knuckle balls at brick walls cinder blocks and nets before he had a consistent command of the mechanics the glacial pace of progress left him wondering if he would ever make it in the big leagues it didn't help when he tied another worst ever record in 2008 maybe he was destined to go down in history as mr four wild pitches in one innings as he described it to me when you throw yourself onto something and don't see results it discouraging running on empty getting discouraged is a common obstacle after turning around that's because going backward doesn't always lead directly to a new peak uh, sometimes you end up stuck and it's not because you are on the wrong path it's because your path is taking you in long circles towards the top and you can't even tell that you are gaining ground you are not seeing enough progress to maintain your motivation there's a name for that feeling it's called languishing languishing in the sense of stagnation and emptiness the term was coined by a sociologist and immortalized by a philosopher languishing is the emotional experience of stalling you may not be depressed or burned out but you definitely feel blah every day starts with a case of the mondays you are muddling through the moments watching your weeks go by in shades of gray while writing this chapter i struggled to find the right framework to capture non-linear progress i tried countless ideas that didn't work demolishing and renovating a building digging a tunnel big breaking through a wall uprooting a plant that draft got a 4 by 10 off from my judges and they were being generous they came up with a mantra kill the plant i kept going back to the drawing board when the nothing resonated i tried to revive the plant they came back with a weed whacker after several weeks i had gone in so many circles that i started to languish the irony of getting stuck on the chapter about getting unstuck was not lost to on me i was meta stuck and i am not at all amused as a linear thinker thinker and disciplined writer i typically start my morning at a keyboard with a clear vision not having one was unsettling starting staring at the blinking cursor of my blank screen i decided to investigate the origins of the term it was it is is it called a cursor in homage to all the writers who have cursed it by dinner time it felt as if i would have wasted the entire day it was exasperating searching for something to take my mind off the chapter i stayed up too late too late eating ice cream and hanging out with my friends monica and chandler hello revenge bedtime procrastination it didn't help my tank was near empty as i have studied hidden potential i have realized that languishing is more than the feeling of being stuck it also keeps you stuck research shows that languishing disrupts your focus and dulls your motivation it becomes a cash 22 and you know you need to do something but you doubt whether it will be do it will do anything that's when you need to pull off the freeway and refuel taking a detour when i ask people what it takes <clears throat> to achieve greater things one of the most common answers is that you need to be laser focused 
and single-minded in your de dedication. You need to double down and block out anything that threatens to drain your energy or divide your attention. If you want to excel at your job, spend more time at work, get in early, go home late, put your hobbies on the back burner, and definitely don't take on a side hustle. You don't want to wind up distracted and exhausted, but the evidence tells a different story. A digression doesn't have to be a diversion. It can be a source of energy. In one study, when people had spent engaging in evenings on their side's hustles, they performed better the next day in their regular jobs. The progress they made at night put an extra spring in their steps the following morning. The motivation benefits outweighed any distraction cost. Hobbies have similar benefits. In another study, when people took on serious hobbies at time, their confidence climbed at work, but only if the hobbies were in a different area from their jobs. If you are an artist and you are languishing, doing ceramics on the side won't do much to spur a sense of mastery, but if you are feeling meh as a social worker or an accountant, a pottery project might just be a new path to progress. Of all the factors that have been studied, the strongest known force in the daily motivation is a sense of progress. You can't always find motivation by staring harder at the thing that isn't working. Sometimes you can build momentum by taking a detour to a new destination. A detour is a route of your main road that, that you take to refuel. You are not taking a break. You are not, state, you are not sitting still, idling. You are, you are temporarily veering, of course. But you are still in motion. You are advancing towards a different goal. Psychologists find that achieving a sense of progress doesn't require huge gains. Fuel can come from small wins. When you make a headway, even if you have turned off the main road, it reminds you that forward movement is possible. Instead of, few, instead of feeling daunted by the long road ahead, you are ready to make the next turn. When I was spinning my wheels on this chapter, I realized I needed to take my own message to heart. My diversion of choice was online Scrabble, a long-time hobby of mine. A few games in, I had a Ralgunayam. I unscrambled it and joined it, an open eye on the board. Original, the small wins, was the fuel I needed. I was ready to get back to the main road to work on my chapter. My first step was to reset my expectations. I wouldn't crack the whole chapter in one sitting. Instead of waiting for the perfect map, I should just start making one small turn at a time. Kill the plant, find the better overarching metaphor. Pick one key tool. I would avoid I would avoid it though since I have a terrible sense of direction. It's so bad that when I make a U-turn, my in-laws call it to the Adam turn. With a few small wins, I started to gain speed. Some of the turns would make take me backward, but together they would help me to move forward, much like R.A. did. The first R.A. had found his own small wins without a detour. He tracked his progress by counting how many pitches he could throw without spin. He pitched each pitch that didn't spin was a jolt of motivation. Within a few years, he had improved from being able to throw a good knuckleball half the time to about three quarters of the time. By the time the Mets recruited him in 2010, at the age 35, R.A. was a solid big league pitcher, but he still hadn't reached the top of his mountain. If his fast knuckleball didn't zig or zag enough, the batters would crush it. To keep moving forward, he needed something more in his tank. He decided to re refuel by finding a new mountain to climb against the advice of his managers. R.A. meant that literally. A high peak, a higher peak, 
In the winter of 2012, Pare decided to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, Africa's tallest peak. It was a challenge he would dreamed of conquering ever since he read the Hemingway story about it. About it, as a teenager, Pare was doing it for the charity. He would raise over dollar one lakh to rescue teenagers from a sex trafficking in Bombay. He met the Mets tried to talk him out of it. and even sent a letter asserting their right to void his contract if he got hurt risking his full salary for the upcoming season are pressed forward when he reached tanzania he spent 7 days climbing over 16000 feet with a group battling altitude sickness extreme exhaustion and biting wind upon reaching the kilimanjaro summit i somehow feel smaller than i have ever felt in my life he wrote It's an intoxicating. That year, Ari had the best season of his baseball career, stretching beyond his comfort zone. Of the fast knuckle ball, he developed one that was extremely slow, changing up speeds to leave batters guessing about when to swing as well as where. They would sometimes burst out laughing at how badly they missed the ball. He earned his nickname, the Baffler. As the ripe age of 37, Ari achieved greater things. He made his first All-Star game. He pitched back-to-back games. in which in which he only gave up a single hit and set a mets record for pitching 32 straight scoreless innings he led the entire league in strikes out and became the first knuckleballer ever to win the cy young award the best pitcher did mount kilimanjaro turn new york mets pitcher into an all-star one reporter asked It's a proactive question. As a social scientist, I can confidently answer this question with a definitive maybe. The evidence on uh, the evidence on side hustles and hobbies suggests that the climb could have made a difference, but it also could have just been a matter of chance. When I asked Ari about it, though he didn't hesitate, I don't think it's a coincidence. He said, "For me, it was very important. I enjoyed challenging myself." The detour to Kilimanjaro may have been the final charge for Ari's battery, raising money. For charity gave him a sense of contribution, feeling small, relieved, and pressure to perform, and refueled him to do bigger things. The successful climb gave him a burst of confidence. It was a quest he recounted. I began the year on an African summit, and I am ending it on a baseball summit. To observers, the breakout season looked as if it came out of nowhere, but that couldn't be further from the truth. It took Ari seven trips down to the minors. and 7 years of knuckleball effort to become an overnight success what looks like a big breakthrough is u- is usually the accumulation of small wins when you get stuck on your way up a mountain it's better to shift into reverse than to stand still as you take u turns and detours you will feel as if you are going in circles in the short run a straight line brings faster progress but in the long run loops lead to the highest peaks progress is rarely noticeable at a snapshot in time it unfolds over the extended periods of time if you focus your attention on a specific difficult moment it's easy to feel stuck it's only when you look at your trajectory over the course of weeks months or years that you appreciate the distance you have traveled what you see where you are